Welcome to the Higher Self Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to help you unravel anything keeping you from a life of true abundance, joy, and happiness, which is your birthright. Each week, we'll bring in different guests specifically tailored to help you on your journey to discovering your higher self, whether it's spirituality, business, finances, health, or relationships, there are no topics that are off limits. So get ready and enjoy this week's episode of The Higher Self. Fuck it, we'll start it anyways. Oh, yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. This week's episode of The Higher Self is, uh, I think it's already starting off with, with cool vibes already. We've got my uh, my new buddy here, Justin Wren, right? Yes. Did I say that correctly? Yep, absolutely. Beautiful. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank yeah? you so much for having me. I, I'm I'm glad to be here because I, I want to get right into it. I was messing around on your Instagram and I saw you holding these big blocks of ice. Yeah. Right? And and I, I, I think for a lot of people, this scares people, but at the same time, it's, peop- it's, it's being seen now. It's like the cool thing, right? And everybody wants to take a video like in the ice, but you look like like a master of it. So I want to dive deep into it sure. because I've had some massively healing moments in ice baths. Um, first off, when did it start for you? How did you discover it? Um, so I'm a professional MMA fighter and you are, yeah, let's so, dig into that first. Okay. Yeah. 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 Tell me and about so that. So I, uh, let's see, I grew up wrestling and the reason I found wrestling was really because I got really heavily bullied. And so wrestling was my first martial art. And so I just, when I found the UFC, I saw that all all of them were the ones that were winning at the time. Uh, This was, I don't know, it was in seventh or eighth grade. And this was when the wrestlers really came in. So I'd seen UFC two through 10, two through 11. I saved up my allowance, bought that whenever it was like one month after a major, like kind of bullying moment in front of basically my whole school. Wow. And so when I picked it up, I thought these guys don't get bullied. These guys, um, you know, ha- know how to defend themselves, uh, and they know martial arts. And so I fell in love with the human chess match of it. But really, kind of the first thought was, these guys don't get bullied. And so then I went on, and luckily I had two Olympic gold medalists as my high school coaches. Who were they? Kenny Monday and Kim Cross. So Kenny Monday's oh, been, Kenny Monday's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's been dope. kind of like a second father figure to me for quite wow. a while. He's been in the corner of my fights, also for probably more than half of them. And he was the first African American to win the Olympic gold. Yeah. And uh, Kenny's got a water tower in Tulsa and Kendall's got a water tower in like Mustang, Oklahoma. That's like named after them. And, uh, so to be able to learn from them and Kenny had fought a couple times in MMA and I told him right out of the gate, like I'm wrestling because I want to fight. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think ice came through that and in wrestling though, I went from basically being a bullied kid that was more of like a victim mentality to then I started to build some self-confidence, self-esteem uh, on the mats. And I think I was out to prove uh, myself because in that bullying moment, like the three people that kind of really put it all together, one said, uh, I can't believe you thought you were good enough to come to my party. That was my middle school crush who crushed me. And then the other guy said, you're worthless. And then the one that orchestrated it all said, uh, you should just kill yourself. So I started kind of battling the biggest battle of my life, which was depression, two suicide attempts in my life. And fighting was a way to kind of at first just prove myself and it was a healthy outlet for me wrestling. I was a 10 time state champion in Texas and a five time all American. I won high school national championship and a Greco Roman national championship. You won a high school national championship. Yeah. In wrestling. Yeah. In wrestling. What year was this? 2005. And then shortly after that, I won a Greco Roman national championship and lived at the Olympic training center 
And then shortly after that, I was brought to Iowa State to wrestle under Kale Sanderson. Oh, this is this is for those of you guys that don't know wrestling. By the way, I was a high school wrestler. Okay, great. So for those of you guys that don't know wrestling, number one, if you want your children to 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 learn about themselves, to Mm. be able to defend themselves, to be able to persevere, to be able to have nowhere to run, and to be able to prove themselves in a place where there's no one to blame but themselves yeah it's wrestling yeah absolutely it's the greatest sport yeah it, it taught me work ethic yeah. it also taught me so i guess to dig into that a little deeper i didn't win a match in my first year of wrestling it took me till about a year and a half and then i won a match by one point and it was kind of we're heavyweight so we're all sweating all over the mats and i, I swear i think he slipped um, and, and I ended up getting two points and, uh, and ended up winning the match. And I was so shocked, but my coaches really started to talk to me and say, Hey, like write down some goals, put them somewhere you can see them. We promise you we'll make you a state champion by the time you're a senior, just write down your goals and put them somewhere. And so I started to do that. And what I realized was they said, go out there and just go. Like, we're going to stop teaching you a hundred different moves that you practice 10 times. We're going to show you one or two moves. And you're going to train it and drill it a thousand different times, 10,000 different times. You're going to make it yours to where even if they know it's coming, they can't stop, stop you. It. Yeah. You know, it's so, it's so interesting. You said that because mine was a, uh, was a, a high crotch. Okay. Nice. And I, I would take them in from a high crotch. And then what, what I figured out is that when I would shift this way and I would lift them up mm-hmm. instead of bringing them down, I saw the half Nelson there. Yeah. So I would take them from a high crotch right into a half Nelson straight onto their back, back to pin them. And I just, to pin them. Yeah. And I just got so freaking good at that. And you know what that taught me is, okay, number one, I probably should have learned more moves, but it taught me how simple success is. Hmm. And I applied that in my business life as yeah. well. I just kept things so simple, man. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. So for me, I was going onto those mats and matches against guys that had so much more experience than me, especially whenever we were the one Texas team that would go outside of the state. And so we'd go up to Oklahoma and we'd go to Pennsylvania and we'd go to Ohio. That's the real deal. Yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. so Iowa. And yeah. um, I would hesitate. I would telegraph. I would show them what I was going to do before I'd ever do it. And so they'd know what was coming and they would be able to defend it. When I finally had some confidence, went to this regional tournament, Southern, uh, Southern Duels, I just went out there and just decided to hit it. Just go. And I pinned every single person in the tournament. So basically went from not winning a match to pinning everybody. And then went to the state championship, won that, then became All-American, national champ. And it just, for me, it was really about surrounding myself with greatness. I was lucky that they were like put in my lives uh, with these two Olympic gold medalists to where I didn't develop a lot of bad habits. But also like writing those goals down, they said write down state champ. But I've always been an optimist, so I wrote down national champ. Good for and you. And I put it and above it, my bed, and I put it on my mirror. And so when I was brushing my teeth in the morning, I was already thinking about it. When I was going to sleep at night, I was dreaming about it. They told me take those two moves. There was an old wrestling magazine called Win um, yeah. at Wrestling International News. Yeah. And so I would clip out pictures of the moves that I like. So my two moves were a lateral drop and a belly to back suplex. Oh, wow. And so I had one on the left and one on the right. And my first national championship I won was with a lateral drop. So the Greco-Roman National Championship I won was with a belly-to-back belly suplex. To back. And then um, it just kind of snowballed from there. My last fight, uh, I went into the float tanks and I was really visualizing and I would try to see it a hundred times before I ever go in there to the fight and feel the thrill of my hand being raised and everything else. But also what I've learned about sports psychology, a lot of people 
like the sports psychologist I had at the Olympic training center, like you would see your perfect match, all that stuff. And that's really, really great. But whenever an Olympic gold medalist would take you through a visualization, it was different. They would start with like problem solving, like you're down and you got to battle back from the brink of defeat and it didn't go your way. And so what are you going to do? What, how are you going to rise up and overcome? Mm. How are you going to battle back and make sure your hand gets raised, even though you're facing some adversity? And then we would go to the follow-up at the very end was the perfect match. Gotcha. But yeah, so for me, the last time I got in the float tank, I saw myself throwing a few feints, coming in with an overhand right, hitting a lateral drop, him standing up, me out in a belly to back suplex, and then finishing with an arm triangle. And I told my coaches that, I told my mom that, I told the executive director of my nonprofit that, and I went out there and did exactly that. Wow. And so I just think there's power in visualization, yeah. seeing it, believing it, and then going out there and having the confidence to like just kind of let go also yeah. to the moment and just making it happen and uh, letting it happen. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's so interesting. It brings up that moment with uh, Conor McGregor and Jose uh, Aldo, Aldo. Yeah. Where, where it was literally like just a couple of seconds and he, you and they had that clip of him practicing that yeah. exact. Yeah, or Jorge Masvidal with Ben Askren and he hit a flying knee and Ben Askren was undefeated, never been beaten, a high-level wrestler, right. NCAA champion three times, uh, an Olympian, and Jorge Masvidal the night before Mike Brown was taking video and he was saying, you look real relaxed against the cage, come out, do a flying knee, fight over. Over. And they drilled that five, 10 times, got it on video. And that's exactly The day right. after the fight, they, they posted that video and viral because the exact thing happened. And by the way, and, 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 and that's stuff that if you're not prepared for, yeah. like Ben, he's never the same. Yep. He's never the same. Yeah. The same way I don't think Jorge was ever the same when he got knocked out by, uh, uh, what the hell's his name? Ah, uh, the, the, the champ. Who's the champ? Uh, it's not Usman. The black, the black guy. Leon uh, Edwards. Uh, from Africa. Um, the, yeah, Kamardi and Usman. Kamardi, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, so we wrestled together. Uh, oh, did you? Yeah, in Texas. So ah, we graduated the same year and we were teammates. Wow. So on Team Texas, right. at least. That's so. cool, man. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. yeah. But I guess to go back to the ice, I've really been doing it for a deliberate practice probably the last 13, 14 years. Well, that's a while. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. And at first it was just for athletic performance and recovery. Um, and it would be like from the waist down or it'd be like icing a shoulder but I mean, I would get into a cold river in Colorado uh, and sit there for five minutes, three minutes. But now I have an at-home unit that I've had for three years. It's a Morasco Forge, and I just love it because it produces blocks of ice. And just having the ice in there for me is something that when I get to introduce someone to it, you see the fear on their face. But for me, I have to break up that ice. I know it's going to be cold. I know that it's going to be hard. But now the last six months or year, like my body craves it. I mean, I've done it every day this year. I've done it, you know, at least five out of seven days um, the last year before that, you know, every week I'm getting in there five to seven times and I do two to three minutes, but I've done much longer too. And it's just really anything above three minutes for me is more mental benefits than anything yeah, yeah, else. Yeah. Like yeah. two minutes is good. Three minutes is great. Um, but now I'm using a snorkel on them in there. So I'm fully submerged the whole time. And I just really like the practice of it because it's great for my body, but more than that, it's great for my mind. I'm an uplifted mood after it. Um, I've gone to treatment twice for substance use. And for me, I meet guys in the recovery community. I meet them uh, at sober livings, or if I go speak there and share my story. And sometimes when guys are going through withdrawals or cravings, 
uh, or they're just down in the dumps. Uh, you know, they hit rock bottom. It's like, hey, come get nice. And they might be crying before they do it, but when they get out, their mood's completely different. Their cravings, their withdrawals are gone. And it's just a natural way to kind of like reset. You know, uh, it, it's so interesting. My my pathway to like my healing was plant medicine, hmm. you know? And so I, I always tend to bring that up. But the beautiful thing about life is that, you know, for so many of you that are watching is if you want to heal, there are so many different yeah. avenues that I feel like we have available to us in order to be able to heal. Exactly. And like, you know, maybe ice is the next step, but like talk about a cold shower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cold shower. For me, cold showers are harder than the ice. Really? It is. And I th I don't know. Here in Austin the other day, it was uh, or a few weeks ago, it got really cold. And some reason our hot water heater went out. And uh, uh, so we only had cold showers available for like two or three days. And it was, you know, 30 degrees out. So whenever I would go get in the shower, it's a ice cold shower and we have a big shower head. So it's just like powerful and on you and it's cold and my whole back's out or it's just that running water. For me, it's harder to take a cold shower than it is a fully submerged ice bath. And yeah. so whenever I get into the ice, I fully submerge and, and then I fully submerge on my way out because I just like that mental benefit I get from it. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because it's like um, I, um, the last ice bath I did, it was, we did five minutes and then they wanted us to do two more rounds of five minutes, which whatever, I was going to do it. But um, what happened to me was something very interesting that I, I want to share with everybody so that you all understand the power of this, mm. the absolute power of this. It was my, my, my first round and um, I get out of the ice bath and I'm shivering. And obviously that is out of my control. I'm like, <laughs> my hands are, you know, moving and everything is shaking. And then, um, and, and then I get back in for the second round. Right. And I, I didn't realize it, but I, I guess I'm a lot like you is that I don't want to feel anything out. Like, so I was like pretty much into where just my, my face and my, my eyes were shrunk because that just feels more comfortable for me for some, yeah. for some strange reason. Right. And, um, and when I get out that second time, I'm shaking and I'm trying to get myself prepared for the third round. And in that, my buddy Samson, do you know Samson, by the way? I do know Samson. Samson He's awesome. Shit. Yeah, yeah. I love that guy. But my, my buddy Samson comes up to me and I had him on the show and I asked him, what was that about? And he's like, I just felt led, right? Because here I was, I was trying to be like the tough one. Mm -hmm. I was trying to keep it all con under control. I was trying to like, you know, put up the show or whatever that I had it all figured out. And I, I physically couldn't do that anymore. Right. And so Samson comes up to me, grabs me by, by both shoulders. Uh, I have father issues. So probably that like yeah. has like some sort of healing impact on me. And he says, it's okay. You don't have to always be strong. And I just break down into like mm. complete tears. And then what happened is it was so powerful. The only way that I can describe this was I'm laying on the ground. I'm, I'm like twitching and, and, my mouth is opening. My tongue is out. I'm like on another dimension. Uh, and and I feel God's healing power come to me in that moment. And I just started seeing everyone's like spirits, right? Everyone's spirits around me. And I have a big uh, a brother wound, you know, uh, 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 a wound when it comes to having male relationships in my mm. life. And I literally just start shaking and I, it's like as if God 
use the eyes to show me like we're all the same so you don't have to like defend mm -hmm. yourself like you're safe basically and it was powerful powerful and, and i'm gonna say it this much i've sat with psychedelics at least what 20 some odd times that experience was probably more profound than anything i had ever experienced before yeah. and yeah. could you speak to that yeah, for sure. So I, I have quite a bit of experience with psychedelics as well, sitting with Aya and Bufo and psilocybin and uh, ketamine, the doctor guided through the IVs um, several different times. And for me, I've had some more powerful experiences with visions through either breath work or through just a time of prayer and something happening. Um, in fact, I mean, I'll share it real quick. I was... 23 years old, I was broken in addiction. Uh, I had stepped away from fighting um, and I was on a winning streak, but I felt like I was supposed to sacrifice uh, at least a year from the sport and to step away and, and define myself because all I was doing was fighting against people and really fighting against myself. It was internal battle the whole time. And so I get my hand raised and I literally think, is this it? Is this all? Like, what am I putting my body through, my life through? And the joy of winning wasn't there anymore. And the only joy I had was like, I was using the day before a fight, Oxy. Wow. I was hooked on Oxy after a surgery. And in uh, about 10 months of like this journey of like just not fighting, finding opportunities to volunteer. I was at the Denver Rescue Mission, you know, helping serve with the homeless. And then I was at the Denver Children's Hospital and went through night school to become like a, a official volunteer on the oncology unit. So got to be there when kids were being put to sleep for their surgeries or wheel them around afterwards in their wheelchairs or really bond with their families in an at-risk youth group. And I started finding this purpose, but it was kind of scattered and it wasn't really focused. And I had the dream fight. Uh, number three on my goals list as a kid was uh, be a national champion wrestler. Number two, was fight in the UFC. Um, number one was fight at the Satama Super Arena in Tokyo, Japan on New Year's Eve. Oh. And that's in front of over 100,000 people live. And so I'd done number three, done number two, and number one was offered to me. But it was in that one year uh, time that I had sacrificed, I'm not gonna fight. So my agent offers it to me, and I'm like, you know, this is perfect. You know, it's right out of year. It's a little under, but it's right out of year. I can take this fight. And I started trying to negotiate and all these things. And something in my spirit just said, no, not yet. And I was frustrated and I'd never really prayed much in my life at this time and had a friend suggest, why don't you pray? And I had no idea what to say. And I, I didn't think it would work. And I was like, what are the heavens going to part? And like, God speak to me. And, uh, so Watch I was, out. yeah, yeah. I was, I was pretty much a skeptic and had no clue what was about to happen to me, but I was alone and I was basically in a basement and I literally got on my knees and on my forearms and I just said a prayer and all, it was audible. And I just said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I waited and I said it again and I waited and I said it again. And I don't know if there was a hunger for me to actually hear something. I don't know why this happened. It was not psychedelic induced, 10 months sober at this time. Uh, I've, I wrestled with, is, was this a psychotic break? Was this a psychedelic reactivation? Like, what was this? Because all of a sudden, the most powerful vision I've ever had in my entire life happened. And it was like a movie in my mind, but it felt like it happened, like I was there. And 
it, I was in the forest and I was walking down a little bitty footpath. I was clearing vines and thickets out of the way and I heard drumming and I keep walking and I hear this very distinct singing and then I come into a clearing and I see these huts that are dome shaped and they're twigs and leaves uh, and they're uh, these people that I meet and we didn't talk, but I, but we acknowledge each other. And I was just filled with this knowledge that they're hungry, thirsty, poor, sick, oppressed, and enslaved, that they call someone else master mm. and that they felt forgotten. And I see this man and he's coughing and uh, I can see his ribs and I come out of that vision and I start to weep. Who are they? Where are they? Am I crazy? But I left a little puddle of tears on the ground. And uh, I mean, like a grandma size cookie, like little but that's a lot puddle. yeah i mean i've lot. never wept like that in my life after yeah. a funeral anywhere yeah and not after heartbreak but for these people i didn't know who they were where they were anything like that so i have that vision and i could stop there but really three days later i meet a guy named caleb who had lived with the maasai tribe uh, that hunts lions um that lived with the vanuatu tribe that invented bungee jumping um they tie vines around their ankles and they actually kiss their head on the dirt to bless their yam harvest and he starts telling these crazy stories. His friends of Bear Grylls. Uh, Bear Grylls wrote the forward to his book. And I'm, I'm like, man, if there's one guy, because I thought I'd never tell anyone this vision. I thought, this is crazy. Like, I wasn't on psychedelics, so people are going to think I'm nuts. <laughs> and this is before psychedelics were really kind of getting a, thing, a little mainstream. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, so I decide I'm going to tell this one guy. And he's about to go to Nebraska. I'm about to go to Colorado. We're about to never see each other again. I get in a car with friends and we're about to leave. And I go, wait, the car's on. I go, wait, I go to tell him something. I go tell Caleb this vision. And Caleb looks at me and cracks a smile. And I go, what? And he goes, I know who they are. And I said, what, who? And he goes, they're the pygmy people. And they're in the Congo. And I was like, who, where? And he said, hey, this is wild. Because three days ago, the guys I was taking on this trip, I'm going in three and a half weeks. But the three guys I was taking, they just canceled. The U.S. State Department said no one go to Congo for any reason. Um, my wife asked me yesterday for a sign that she's pregnant. I have a young kid. So the rebels had taken over a million-person city. Uh, there was nowhere to fly into. Um, and he goes, look, but if you go, I'll go. And I'm like, what? what? Well, do we have to go now? Like, Can we go later? Uh, he told me some crazy stuff that the rebels were killing the people we were going to see. He was going on a scout trip just to see if there was any way to help. Um, I'm like, wow. He goes, you come tell Jess. And so I get in his car instead of my friend's cars. And we we go to his wife. She's got a young toddler. Uh, she's pregnant. I tell her the vision. And she looks at Caleb, grabs his shoulder and goes, you got to take this guy. Oh, my God. And I'm like, whoa. So we bring one of my friends, Colin, with us. We go in about three weeks from there. We go into Uganda. We have to find one pilot that, pilot that will charter a flight for us into Congo. We land on a grass runway. We get in a truck. We go about four to six hours. We get our motorcycles through the rainforest for about an hour or two. Um, and then we get on a dugout canoe. We go across the river. There's crocodiles, hippos in this river. And I'm thinking, what have I gotten myself into? And before even that, I thought, and I told Caleb, I'm like, Hey man, I don't know. Like I had this vision, but I, I'm not sure I'm supposed to go. And he goes, what do you mean you're not supposed to? You're not sure. He goes, you're never going to be sure unless you do go. If you don't go, you'll never know. So that kind of got me wrestling with it to say, okay, I'm really going to do this. 
we we get out on the other side of the river, we keep walking, we hear drumming, then we hear singing. Then we come into a clearing, the first guy we meet has tuberculosis, he kind of looks like a skeleton with skin on, he's starving, he's coughing, he's oh the guy God. from the vision. No. The guy, and so I take a squat, um, my, my knees were weak. I ended up taking a knee also, and Caleb and Colin are now like grabbing my traps saying, this is your vision, this is your vision. I had the vision written down in my bag that was on my back. And now here are the people right in front of me. And I'm like, what is this about? Why am I here? What am I going to do? Because in the moment, I felt like this problem uh, that they're facing is way too big and I'm way too small. That I didn't know how to. My God, I have something to tell you. Yeah, I, I didn't know how to start a nonprofit. I didn't know what they actually needed at that time. But throughout our trip there, we had slave masters come up to us and go, what are you here doing with my property? I own these people. We all, all sorts of wild things. While I've been there, I've been held at gunpoint. I've held a one and a half year old boy that died in my hands. I buried him. Um, and those moments like that, that moment with Andy Bo, the young boy, I was cupping the back of his head, holding his little hand. His mom was across from me. I could count every rib on her sternum because she was sitting there starving. She had been born into slavery um, they were mistreated. Uh, they, and, uh, man, that, that just, that forever changed my life because I didn't even know about the water crisis. I didn't even know people didn't have clean drinking water. I didn't know that it takes 3.4 million lives a year, 2 million are children under the age of five years old. And when I talked to his mother, I'm like, why did this happen? They were denied hospital treatment, not once, but twice. Um, first time his mom was told you're too dirty to come in here. Second time they begged for the money. Uh, eight, they live in people groups of about 85 to 150 people, like smaller tribes, um, smaller villages. And they all begged to get three, three dollars of three and a half dollars of Congolese franc. So it was a dollar for the pills that would have cured them. It was $3 for the one shot cure. It's too late in the game for the pills. They went there, they took a chicken, uh, eggs. They took, uh, a bag of charcoal. They took firewood. They put everything on the doorsteps of the the medical. Whatever center. they had, whatever they had, they were w willing to give it all. God. And the doctor came out and said, "The real reason, which was, we won't waste our medicine on a pygmy animal," and turned them away. And so when I talked to a slave master, which I was ready, I mean, I've never had that much like deep seated anger, anger in me for that injustice, but still, I tried to have a conversation to like try to understand. Um. Because in some ways the slavery there is like terrible. Um, and in other ways, they're almost indentured servants, somewhat part of the family. It depends on where you are um, and how that family decides to treat the family that, that works for them or that they, they quote unquote own. And it was just a, a whirlwind. It was culture shock. It was all these things. But the slave master said, it's cheaper to bury them than to keep them alive. And so I went to the market. His mom wasn't crying she was in shock but she was also malnourished and i didn't even understand that so when i went to the it, i wouldn't understand it till i got back from the market where we got her tilapia mango a passion fruit juice uh, rice and whenever she was actually able to have some sustenance that's whenever the tears just came to flow and she was able to weep but it was six dollars for the shovel i bought it was thirty dollars for the casket i bought it's not cheaper to it, it just was wild but after that moment, I was like, well, again, what am I going to do about this? I don't know how to drill. The, the things that they said they needed were land, water, food. 
if they could have land that was theirs, that people weren't stealing from them, enslaving them on, like taking their land and enslaving them, if they could have their own water, if they could have food, like start their own farms or be allowed to hunt and gather on the land. And so I was just like, I'm not going to be able to do anything. So I wrestled with it for another year. And then I decided to go back. And then I went for another month, came back and I'm like, you know what? I need to go for a longer time. I need to go for a full year. And so ended up going and living there for a year. We built a team. I learned how to drill water wells in that time. I started teaching others how to do that. Um, we started building a real team of like community leaders that were countrymen deciding to change their own community. Yeah. And so our whole thing is we don't do charity. We do opportunity. Like charity can be great, but opportunity is always better. And so instead of a handout, it's a, a real yeah. hand up. Yeah. And so giving them the tools, educating with the knowledge and then empowering them to be the change in their own community. And so through that, it's been, so I guess to relate it to my story of fighting, like I was fighting against people, but really my purpose was to fight for people and to see those resources through fighting and, and having to learn different sports and being well-rounded in that. It's like, well, how can we train these people in a well-rounded way to where they they become master drillers, start their own business. Uh, we get agriculturalists in there teaching them how to farm better, you know, plant their seeds a little deeper, spread the seeds a little further apart. Um, and then now we've, we're building homes. This year we're getting ready to do a, our own medical clinic in honor of Andy Bow, um, a school. We're doing a water reservoir right now. It's, you know, January and we're, we're already two water wells in. We've done over 80 water wells, provided water to over 50,000 people. And I would say I'm not the hero of the story. It's like them. They're the heroes of their own story. And by a vision, like what you said, that, that for me wasn't psychedelic induced, was the most powerful one that I think psychedelics have their place. Sure. Um, but for me, that allowed me to never doubt my purpose. When I had malaria, not once or twice, but three times and lost 33 pounds in five days and was vomiting red and green, which was blood and bile. And I couldn't urinate for five full days. It was, uh, I had something called black water fever, which one in two people die that get it or one in four, depending on what you look at on Google. But the doctor was like, this isn't good. And I couldn't urinate at all. When I finally was able to, um, you know, 65 to 70% of my bloodstream were parasites. And the urine that came out was as dark as a microphone or our shirts. Like it was just pitch what black sticky. But in that moment, like, you know, talking to my mom on a satellite phone from the rainforest, she's like, get home. We're going to evacue, medical evacue back home. I'm like, well, the doctors don't understand malaria there. They've never treated it. And two, like, I'm supposed to be here. You know, like the the vision, and the, that's not to pat myself on the back, but having a moment like that that's so real. No, no, no. Yeah. It's like, I can't doubt it. Yeah, I know what you, yeah, I understand. Let me take a moment because that, I, I wasn't, I mean, I, It's just so profound to me. It's so profound to me that number one, what they need is below them. So it's there. It's already there. They just don't know how to access it. Right. And then number two, that they were willing to give everything. That's like, you know, to you guys listening, you know, wood and, you know, charcoal or whatever might not be a lot, but that's like you're you're at a point of desperation where you're willing to give your house, you're willing to give all your money, you're will to save this 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 little boy. Yeah. 
and then you get turned away. Hmm. You know, I, I got to tell you, this is, this is medicine for me because I'm a believer. Be, because of my life, I, I, I'm a believer that anything you want, you can manifest. Hmm. And I've always heard people tell me, but yeah, but then there's people that, you know, you don't understand, you know, their situation. And, and because I always find a way, I'm like, well, just move. Just, you know, there's always a way. But for these people, there was no way. I've never in my life heard this before. Yeah. Um, it's So thank you for that, man. Yeah. If you're enjoying this episode, I wanted to remind you that this episode is being brought to you by the energy of healing and transformation. And it is your time to act now to transform your life by awakening your highest self. Join us March 23rd, 24th, and 25th in Austin, Texas, live at Awaken Your Highest Self. Tickets are on sale now. Go to dannymorell.com backslash awaken and reserve your seats today. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting on my phone, phone to be rude, but to show you something because this is, this is where we just drilled a well and um, I've never seen this kind of desperation for, for water. So you'll see that woman, she's literally climbing the edge of a, little cliff and to get water and she's got a jerry can in her hand that one's empty let me show you one more where uh this is a little boy right um climbing it as well so this is in uganda and we've we've have a lot of focus in uganda now right across the congo border and we've got back over three thousand acres of land for the pygmy people and they had never had land ownership so we wanted to make sure we bought it on behalf of them and the strongest thing in their courts is in the name of a people group, a tribe. And so it's not in the name of my nonprofit fight for the forgotten. It's in their name. And we really wanted to advocate on their behalf. But this village, a woman recently was climbing a mother with children and those jerry cans when they're full, I'll show you this little video. And so this little girl, she's using a cup to fill up a pitcher um, from a little bitty stream and then putting it into a funnel into oh, yeah. a five gallon, 20 liter jerry can. When those jerry cans are full, they're 44 pounds. Yeah. And so they're doing this with one or two jerry cans at a time. They're doing a five kilometer walk this way uh, with the water on their head, the water on their back. And so we really decided now we have to shift. They're in this village of 1,500 people are in the mountains were refugees or displaced peoples and um they were forced to live on this part of the land and there's no real water access that's safe so they're getting sick well they found a little mountain spring that's a little waterfall one month out of the year but uh it's dangerous for that climb it's not actual clean drinking water people are still getting sick not as sick um but we were like the last two weeks has been really great because we've got two wells in but it's taken more than a month to do it and the first well rig that we contracted with um it was hard because they were like there's no way to get there and so they tried they got stuck in the mud they turned around they left and we have our own well drilling team but we needed a deeper rig for like a mountainous region to go hundreds of feet deep and so I'm like, look, we're used our team is used to hiking this well drilling equipment one ton 20 foot pipes that are whether they're pvc or galvanized steel and hiking in 
bags of bricks, bags of cement that are hundred pounds, bags of gravel, bags of sand. Yeah. With um, these women, it's. Yeah. These are women and children that are having to do this. The women, uh, they have to be a single income home because the w- wife has to go collect water all day. Or if a wife goes and gets a job, now a child can't go to school because they have to do this water walk. And it's just mind blowing. So we got a, a, we made sure we removed all the excuses. We're gonna have a tractor there to clear the way, we're gonna have a tow truck, and we're gonna get that well drilling rig there. And so now that's up on the mountain, it's gonna turn into a water reservoir, it's gonna flow down to four different communities, nice. three on one side, one on the other, and then that's gonna be the, the water source for the hospital or the medical clinic and school that we get to build this year, Beautiful. 2023. Beautiful. So um, anyways, I think for me, my life purpose has come down to one simple thing. It's, it's fight for people. It's put love and compassion in action. And like, how can we overcome oppression with overwhelming opportunity? Because that's what they're, anytime I've talked to them and said, what do you need? What do you want? It's not give us this. Um, it's, it's provide an opportunity. We, we, we don't want to take a handout. Like we don't want you to just give us some rice. We want you to show us how to grow the how rice, grow the rice yeah. and then not even that, like the, give a man a fish, feed him for a day or, uh, you know, teach him how to fish, feed him for a lifetime. But what if we can go beyond that and create like a fishing market, like, uh, some sort of commerce around it where they're able to provide for themselves sustenance and sell it to others and have a business to be able to do it for themselves. That's yeah. where things start to change. So I feel called to ask you this question. Um, this podcast does a hundred thousand downloads a month or so. That's a lot of you guys out there. Yeah, that's incredible. Okay. That's a lot of you guys. So explain to me really fast. What does one dollar do? What can one dollar do? Yeah, about for our cost, it's about thirty dollars for a person to have access to clean water. And the way that we do that, we, our water wells are different in a way. It's a long term commitment. It's a lifelong commitment for, for as long as our organization is around and our teams are in place. The, the system of well drilling and nonprofit work, I think is starting to change, but the old guard or the old system and what's the way it's done right now, uh, mostly is there's 230,000 broken wells in Africa right now. That's billions of wasted charitable dollars. And I think the reason that is, is because traditionally there's a show up, blow up, blow out technique. It's announce your arrival with a parade, um, throw a party, get a bunch of pictures. You did it. You, you got a big it, quota. You're, you're, and like yeah. now, now bail. Yeah. And there's no long-term relationship there. Yeah. Well, just like a car needs a oil change in 3000 miles. If you, if you go, if you go beyond that, you know, we try to make sure our wells don't have a huge load on them where it's not like maxed out. We'll do two wells there to make sure that 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 pressure is taken off of the system, and then we have a follow up. And there's a little treasury or, or a board that is putting away a little bit of their own money and their own contribution, so that if there's maintenance, then they're not going to pay the full price, but they'll pay ten percent of it, something like that. If it if it goes down, if there's any sort of maintenance that needs to be taken place, so. Uh, yeah, I think on average it's about $30 per person to provide them water. And, and we think that's for life because we're, we're there for the long term. We, we go back, we do all sorts of water tests. We go back and just maintenance the wells and just check in on the community 
And uh, I'm getting ready to go back in February or February 17th. And uh, I'm excited for that because I'll be there for five weeks and we're going to go see new land where we're building the health center and school uh, in a business marketplace. We'll be doing training. Um, we try to go beyond just the singular part of like only a well to where we do water and sanitation and hygiene training. So we're teaching about clean hands. We, we dig latrines, we set up hand washing stations, we make sure there's soap in the villages. Um, and then we do a lot of training on peaceful coexistence, uh, conflict resolution, mm. women's and children's rights and empowerment. And so we have some really key, incredible partnerships. The founder of Engineers Without Borders is stepping under our board. He's coming with me. He's, he's empowered over 17,000 engineers in over a hundred different countries. And he is helping us with all the engineering needs of the community. Beautiful. And we have Project Cure that's committed $1.5 million to the health center. And uh, we have to raise 850,000 to build it. So the hospital or the medical clinic, the school, I'm saying that because saying hospital, because it's basically that we're going to have a birthing center with uh, well, there'll be safe births. There's going to be a pediatrics unit. There's going to be a dental suite. There's going to be an ER or triage center, but they're not going to do operations. So since it's not an OR there, it's not a hospital in Uganda. It's a medical center, mm. but I'm just excited. We have to raise that 850 for the school health center and the community hub, which will have like a gathering place where we do the trainings. We'll have rain catchment and water wells. So the rain catchment system for me is thinking of it almost like a checking account. And then the deep well is the savings account. So that way we make sure there's multiple solutions because there's a lot of people there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. So I'll, I'll be honest. Like normally we have like other kinds of conversations. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know the guests. I don't know what the story sure, is, yeah. at, but this, this, this had such a, such an impact on me that, uh, number one, if, if you're out there listening, I, I, I want you, I don't ask you for anything. I don't ask you for anything. We give all of this away to you for free, all of our content for free. If you've enjoyed anything that we've ever done, if any post we have ever made has ever made any sort of an impact on you, I want you to go to this website. Fightfortheforgotten.org. Fightfortheforgotten.org. And I'm going to tell you something right now, guys. If you, and this is not like religion speaking, this is universal truth here. If, if you want to be blessed, you have to know how to, be able to let go of because when you hold on to your resources, you're 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 essentially gripping life, and you're afraid of the flow of the universe coming back to you, right? So I want you to challenge every single one of you listening to me right now to let go of thirty dollars, mm. right? Because essentially, what you're doing is you're planting a seed, and your life is now giving life to somebody else. Yeah. For thirty dollars, for thirty dollars, right? And and I and I want you to go to this website. I want you to go donate thirty dollars, okay? Uh, thank you. And I'm gonna donate ten grand, just so you. Wow! Know. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Thank yeah. you so much. I'm gonna, I I have some cash here. I'll give you right now. The rest I'll I'll get wired to you. Um, but on top of that, I want to. I I want to get this, Casper. I want to get this like on the main page somehow so that everybody in Instagram hears this story 
and here's to donate. And I want to push everybody when Instagram, when it posts, like I want to have the link on my Instagram and I want everybody to, I mean, this is just like, thank you. How could you well, not do that? You know? Yeah. Well, I, I, I love it, man. Thank you so much. We, we, we want those one-time donors. And if there's anybody else that feels led with the $30 incredible, and then we've figured out through our board of directors and another nonprofit, like if anyone wants to join our tribe or become like a monthly donor, $5 a month, you know, that way we know what's coming in and we can plan so and we can, can plan. budget and yeah. we are I'll do that more as sustainable. Well. I'll do that as well. And uh, thank you. Yeah. And we're just looking for those long-term people to, to or, or anybody that wants to support this because- the chief Leo may actually told me, he goes, Hey, everybody else calls us the forest people, but we call ourselves the forgotten. And he said, can you help us have a voice? And so his whole thing was, yes, we need water. Yes. We need food. Yes. We need this, but we need a voice. And so I want to thank you for having me on because my fight name, it used to be the Viking. You can kind of see yeah, yeah, why, yeah, yeah. but, uh, now I'm the big pygmy and they named me Efeosa Mabutimangbo. And so Efeosa means a man that loves us and I cherish that name, but Mabutimangbo, it's, it's what they call me and their neighbors. And, uh, it just means the big pygmy. <laughs> and, um, so you, uh, and, and Casper and the team inviting me on the show, like that helps me fulfill my first promise to them and their first ask, yeah. which was to, to allow them to have a voice. Yeah. And the whole goal is really to, to give them their own voice. And so we're doing a docu-series now, been filming that, and we're really excited to get that out to people to show them, showcase this, some of the most amazing, incredible, and awesome people in the world. In fact, if I could tell you a few Swahili proverbs real quick, or African uh, kind of teachings or sayings, it's- uh, but, but before you do, hold on, yeah. what was the website again? Fightfortheforgotten.org. Fightfortheforgotten.org. Okay, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna close you people. I'm, not, I'm just not gonna leave you alone. Uh, because um, I, I need you. Rem, I just said, go please, $30, fightfortheforgotten.org, but keep going. <laughs> well, okay, if, uh, on, maybe on uh, that Swahili proverb, the first one I'll give each of the listeners, because when I heard it, it was, uh, it was like, whoa, maybe someone's thinking, well, what is $30 really going to do? Because we have it in our context here. But whenever someone literally is living on a dollar to a dollar 25 a day, or the pygmy people working seven, eight days in Uganda, and then only getting maybe a dollar of Ugandan shillings after seven or eight days because they're not treated like everybody else. Um, $30 there goes far. And the proverb they told me was, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try to sleep in a closed room with a mosquito. And that was like tongue in cheek. I like laughed at first, <laughs> but after I got malaria, yeah. I was like, oh shoot. Shit. Like I fought guys six foot, seven six foot eight i skipped six foot nine and fought a dude six foot ten I, I won those fights against the bigger dudes but no fighter has ever kicked my ass like a mosquito, a mosquito. Has. i mean something that lay, weighs less than one gram almost took my life and filled my bloodstream with parasites 65 70 percent of the way and so if that little mosquito can have that much of a difference in my life or in the world at large with malaria, it's like, how much more power do we have to really create change, yeah. impact people's lives? And so I, I love that one. Another one they say is, uh, uh, if you think you're too small to make it, or no, sorry, it's uh, 
if you want to go fast, go alone. Yeah. Or if you want to go far, go together. Yeah. And I'm sure you've heard that one, but that is just tribe. And I got to see them do that. They suffer together. They don't suffer alone. They don't run away in their house and close their doors where their neighbors can't hear them or can't see them and veg out on their phone. It's like they have conversations with each other. They share in each other's suffering and in each other's joy. And I just love that one. Another one they taught me was, uh, and for me, this is great whenever I've been someone who's battled depression, addiction, things like that. And honestly, I'm so thankful to them because they didn't just change my life. They saved my life too. Yeah, 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 yeah. They gave me purpose by in, in adopting me into their tribe. Which by the way, I just got goosebumps. Did you ever get that last fight? Uh, I didn't. In Tokyo? I, I, it, it could still happen. Yeah. It could still happen. But but no, I hope you see yeah. this was the- This was the fight this I needed. Was the fight. This was yes. the fight I wanted. Yes. And so if I can come back to fighting and make a comeback- <laughs> That is so fucking profound. <laughs> yeah. That is so deep. Yeah. Yeah, I, oh I my mean, God, God is awesome. Yeah, yeah, that would oh have been just God. a one-time thing. That would have been right. Cool. It would have been cool, but it wouldn't have been great. Right. It wouldn't have been great. It wouldn't have been something that set my soul on fire right, and gave me right. so much purpose. Right. And so they told me this: if there is no enemy within, then me on the outside can do us no harm. And for me, that was profound because, like, my biggest enemy is truly myself. And other things can come up, but if but if I can master me, and that's one of the reasons I get in the ice baths. It's one of the reasons I do hard things. Can I was about to, I was about to say, and for all of you, listen, we live in this world where we don't know who to trust. Yeah, and 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 I don't know why, but this whole the notion of these like sometimes like like the TV evangelists, like mm, that yeah. you know, like yeah, yeah. they're doing the whole show and they're in these like expensive suits. So something about you has to think like, where's my money going? You know what I'm saying? But you want to know the truth about something, about someone, and you want to discover the truth about yourself, go sit in a damn ice bath. Mm, yeah. So so to me, to me, I'll be honest with you, I trust you because I know what that's like more than any preacher, more than any, more than anybody out there, because because I know that you discover the real deal, you discover your heart, you discover mm. your vulnerabilities, you deal with your demons, you deal with your deepest, darkest fears in those moments right there. You know what I'm saying? So like, Thanks. that's all I need to know because I know that and that resonates with me. You know what Thanks. I mean? Thanks, yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, and you and you know what I mean. Yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? yeah, yeah, because it, it, yeah, it's hard. It's hard, but it's so good. And then you start to so, crave it, you I, need it. Yeah. And, um, well, thank you, I, I appreciate that. I, uh, I, there's another one that they taught me, I don't know why I'd go here, but uh, actually coming here, I was a little late and uh, I was like five, 10 minutes late and um, part of me, you know, I drew a little kind of a intention card today and it said patience. And sometimes in the hustle and bustle of the United States or the Western world, um, one of my well drillers taught me this one time and he said, uh, I, one of my, well, he's our team leader and he taught me how to drill well. So he's a black belt and he's a master yeah. well driller. Yeah. But sometimes I get so attached to the schedule and the goal and the planning and like, let's go, let's go, let's go that sometimes I can miss the moment of being present and having a conversation with people. And one of the culture shock moments I'd have coming back here, maybe I was in New York or LA and I'm talking with someone and they might ask something and I'm talking to them and maybe they look down at their watch or they check their phone or something like that. And they have to, they have somewhere to be, something's on their mind. And BTEC told me, he goes, hey, you, you Westerners, you Americans, you guys all have the watches, but you know what us Africans have? We have the time. Wow. We have the time. 
like hey poly poly so slowly deep. slowly so deep yeah poly poly slowly slowly let's 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 make sure we do everything right yeah let's make sure we take time to where when we sit to eat we have these conversations we invite in everybody uh in the village that we're serving another way of that is we do something different when we go drill a water well we make sure every community we connect with and we reconnect to our purpose of why we're there we go on the exact water walk that they go on uh, every single time we don't say we've done it once so we've done it we know what it is right we make sure we do the same exact walk this community is doing so that we reconnect to our purpose of drilling that well and take the time to get to know them show them we're connecting like we're on an eye-to-eye eye eye level eye. we're not we're, we're not better yeah. we're not right yeah, yeah we're not yeah. saying hey pushing you to the sidelines right, right we're here we're the saviors we're the ones right. here to do the work no, no, you no, can't no. do this for yourself yeah we're the ones that can it's very it's important like, no, energetically you, yeah yeah we're in this together yeah like we, we we truly are we look at you as partners i love that and um so i just but i that one got me today i thought of that driving over i'm like okay patience you know uh i'm just meeting danny i want to make a good impression now i'm late but you know what? Hey, for some reason I talked to B Tech this morning, and I just remembered him saying, "Hey, you got you got the watch, but we got the oh, time. You oh. know, hey, take your time, have a good podcast, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. reconnect a purpose. Yeah, beautiful, absolutely. Yeah. What was the website again? It's fightfortheforgotten.org. Fight for and last thing is, uh, I was walking out of the house today, and this was made by one of the pygmy people's chiefs. Oh. It's made by Leo May, and I've only given out. Uh, one other on a podcast and then uh, another one to a significant donor. And I don't know why I was told to put uh, like a, something in my spirit said, grab that and give that to Danny today. Wow. And so thank you for your donation. Thank you, man. Uh, the really unique thing about that is it's made out of a nail. And so they, what they do is sometimes people are doing illegal logging there and they'll make these ladders. And so the pygmy people will recycle them, pull the nail out of the ladder that's cutting down these huge mahogany or eucalyptus trees. And then they literally hammer it down and make it into a handmade knife. So very resourceful. And I just wanted you to be reminded of, of them. This and is dope. It's a way to remember them. Yeah. And, sure and trust me, like I understand like, you know, in, in, a, in a society where I think people have forgotten like the depths of the profoundness of the meaning of like making something yourself, like I get it. Yeah. I get it. So thank you for this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fight for the forgotten. Fight for the forgotten.org. And if you could, could please make sure that our team gets pictures and yeah, B-roll and whatever, because I, I want to make, when we do these clips, I want them to be very, very nice. And, um, and, uh, and if you're watching the podcast, by the time you see this, go back to my main feed and let me know that you donated by just commenting, I donated. Or commenting, what can we comment? What could be a cool word? Something that they would have to have listened. Yeah. The forgotten. The forgotten. The forgotten. I like it. Just put the forgotten there, and uh, and 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 that'll let me know that you donated, and I'm I'll personally thank you as well for that. So wonderful. What's your What's your? We know your website. What's your yeah. Instagram? My Instagram is the Big Pygmy at the Big Pygmy, and Pygmy is P Y G M Y. And uh, you can also go check out my podcast. I'd love to have you as a guest sometime next time oh, you're I'm in, in Austin. I'm in. It's called Overcome. So we okay. talk about how to win this fight called life and overcome some of life's greatest challenges, digging or drilling down into those tactics and strategies. And uh, I'd love, love, love to have you as a guest. I'm in for sure. Okay. I'm in. Yeah, man. Thank awesome. you. Thank you for being here, man. Yeah, thank, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, man. This yeah, was man. a pleasure, thank you. a treat. And uh, 
that's it, guys. This week's episode. I, I wasn't planning this at all, but I hopefully um you know you know you know, hopefully you have the courage to donate um and to and to and to change a life with with the power of love and and understanding that that your life matters because you're able to help another life. I think that's the the greatest lesson here. Um, so if you're feeling down, if you're feeling out, if you're feeling like there's no hope, um, I'll tell you one thing that I learned from my mother. This just came to me. My mother passed away, and a year after she passed away, she was still donating her monthly, wow. you know, I was a ten percent or whatever, yeah. like to help feed. It's um, incredible. But yeah, yeah, and that just resonated with me. The amount of like faith and purpose that she had. Yeah. And uh and, and and she was a small she was 4 foot 10. Wow. But you know, just full circle. No matter how terrible you feel right now, no matter how small you feel right now, like this $30 donation that you're about to make is it, it can help you feel incredible because you're going to be able to give someone something that for you is so 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 simple which is water. Yeah. Water. Yeah. So, it's incredible. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. That's it. This week's episode of the higher self. I hope uh Remember, I'm not going to leave you alone. Fight for the for forgotten. Fight for the forgotten. Org. Go donate. And for those of you guys that do really well in life, step up, donate a little bit more. Um, and um, yeah, and, and, and let me know. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to meet you. Shoot me a message on Instagram. All right. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Thanks for watching or listening. If this week's episode resonated with you deeply and you're ready to discover more about yourself, Go to dannymorell.com and check out some of our upcoming events and our resources. Or if you'd like to learn more about our coaching programs, simply shoot us a message on Instagram and one of our team members will reach out to you immediately.